Today's Holy Scripture, <clears throat> Jeremiah buys a field and makes a really, really big deal out of buying a field. I mean, not only does he waste half a page of our time, but he gets the whole court caught up in this drama of signing the document, squirreling the document away. What's the big deal? Jerusalem. The city on the hill, the original shining city on the hill, surrounded by forests and fields, vineyards and stone houses. Jerusalem, world famous or locally famous, at least as the unbreakable citadel. A rock against which army after army has smashed itself. But this time, things are not looking great. This time, the city of Jerusalem is besieged by an army so overwhelmingly powerful, so well-resourced, and so durable, that it looks like the city will, in fact, be outlasted. It wouldn't be the first time Jerusalem was conquered, in fact, David conquered the city of Jerusalem himself. That's how the Judean people took it in the first place. But it hasn't happened for a few hundred years, and there have been some real contenders. It has weathered Egyptians, Assyrians. But this time is, in fact, the time Jerusalem falls. It's hard to, to express that briefly just in the reading of the scripture itself. But this account we have right now of Zedekiah's court, of Jeremiah imprisoned in the middle of that court, walls within walls, right? Jeremiah inside a cell within the king's court, within the city walls, within the siege lines of Babylon. This time is, in many ways, the last time. This is the last time that documents will be witnessed in this temple because this is the war when the temple is burned, when the court of King Zedekiah is taken into captivity. This is the time of the exile. This is the end of the dynasty. This is it. The Judeans are so used to their city being unbreakable that they have a whole genre of hymns to sing over the city walls at the invading armies, making fun of them. Psalm 48. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Our city is so well built. It's got running water inside these walls. You'll never break us. Disease comes through and wipes out the invading army and the rock of Jerusalem stands solid. This is the playbook. This is the this is Judah's. Well, all of the people of Israel's plan for survival. 
When the war comes, when the bandits come, when the invading armies come, run to the hills or, if you can, make your way through the hills to Jerusalem, to the great citadel. Weather them. Wait for them to run out of food. Wait for them to attract another king to come in and fight them off. Let them duke it out in the lowlands while we abide and trust and wait and a few years later re-enter the land. Time and again. But this time is different. And the will of the people is waning. Jeremiah hasn't helped with that morale problem particularly. During this entire siege, Jeremiah has in fact sounded a little bit like a traitor and has probably earned his place in prison. This is the third time. This story of Jeremiah buying a piece of land is the third time God has instructed Jeremiah to buy something. The first two times, he was supposed to buy a bolt of cloth, and a large clay pot. Lovely, nice things, you know, stimulating the local economy, engaging his neighbors. He destroyed them. The bolt of cloth he left to rot and said, this is what happens, Judah, when you just sit around. You start off really fine and nice, but it all rots in the end. And the clay pot he actually went out, gathered a bunch of people around him and shattered and said, the potter that has made you is remorseful is breaking you down for gravel to make something new. So Jeremiah doesn't exactly have a really positive track record of lending morale and support to the defenders of the city, telling them, this too will pass, just hold on, hold the line. That's not Jeremiah. And yet, this third one, is very, very different. This third purchase of Jeremiah's after the cloth and the clay pot must have had people wondering what he's going to do with it. I mean, Anathoth actually shows up earlier in Jeremiah as a place where his relatives and neighbors persecute him. This field, this specific location, is a place that Jeremiah has some history with. And Dollars to donuts, he's gonna buy it and burn it to the ground, right? I mean, that's the, that's supposed, that's gonna be the Jeremiah move. You buy something nice, you smash it. You you buy something nice, you let it rot. You buy something nice, guess what's coming, guys? The Babylonians are coming. We know, Jeremiah, they're winning. Yes, you burn the field. Great. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that at all. He buys a piece of land from his cousin and he turns the whole act into political theater. He gathers everybody around, makes sure everybody is paying attention and says, what I'm going to do with this land is sit on it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to put my deed in a clay jar and bury it somewhere. For all we know, that one's still waiting for archaeologists to find. Wouldn't that be a doozy? Because one day this invader, 
Even though they win, even though they take the city, even though our whole strategy has failed, one day this invader too will pass. And our strategy, though it may look like ruin, will come back around to succeed. And our endurance will outlast. It's an incredible testimony. I mean, can you imagine if Greta Thunberg, you know, the the young woman who's been preaching climate change disaster, who's been talking about how inevitable the coming rise of the sea levels and the destruction of our ecosystem are. Imagine if Greta Thunberg was buying up islands in the Maldives. Islands that everybody knows are going to be underwater in the next few years. It would be a complete break from character. You'd be, you'd be disoriented, even blindsided by it. What in the world? This Jeremiah, who looks like a paid agent of the Babylonians, frankly, and has been talking up the Babylonian power and how much we shouldn't even fight them and all this stuff, is completely breaking character and buying into the Judean system, investing in the kingdom of Judah getting the scribes of Judea to write it all down and put it in their most official forms, getting all of the people, the people who are holding him prisoner, getting all of his prison guards to sign on as witnesses. This is Jeremiah's investment in hope. In a hope that he'll never live to see bear fruit. There's a marvelous proverb that has been attributed to a lot of different people, but it turns out it's ancient Greek and nobody really knows where it comes from, that says, A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. That is a different sort of investment than the one we're used to making. We're used to investing in the future, for sure. We're used to investing in growth, for sure. But it is a different thing entirely when the future you see is rather bad and leaves no rational hope for growth. When we consider something to be a good investment, whether it's our charitable giving or our personal investments that keep us from becoming charity cases, we look for places of growth. We look for places that can be reasonably expected to grow. We want our money to do something. We want our money to go somewhere where it's going to generate some good, right? Where it's going to be leveraged, where one dollar is going to be worth ten dollars in growth. Those are the, the ripe opportunities that our investments are always looking for. Today, in this scripture, I believe God is asking us to consider a different class of investment. 
class of investment in which there is to all appearances little to no payoff. Psalm 146 reminds us to not trust our power to the to princes, to those who die who die and whose plans perish that very day, but rather in combination with the rest of the scriptures that we read today, to give generously to the poor and the oppressed, to align ourselves with God who gives food to the hungry. I think that this is a lesson we have tried our best to internalize, saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to try to set up systems and put together committees and organize ourselves in ways that will invest in our neighbors, will invest in the kingdom. We know that, that storing up treasures in heaven is not just about prayers and devotions. That when we store up, that what it means to store up treasures in heaven has a lot to do with putting our dollars and cents, our hours and weeks, our money and our effort into the kingdom of heaven. That is to say, into our neighbors. If there's anything the story of the rich man and Eliezer has to say, it's that how we use our comforts in this life really, really matters. You enjoyed soft things in this life, but now it is Eliezer. I don't know why I always stumble over that name. It is Lazarus who rests in the bosom of Abraham. This giving, this generosity, is something that I think we have commonly understood as as a duty, as lost money, as something that we have to write off, that we get tax breaks for, because we don't see much hope for return on our investment. What if there's another possibility? What if God is inviting us to consider the payoff of some useless investments? Hedging is when we take our investment money And uh, perhaps you're familiar, to hedge means you invest on both sides. So imagine that you want to invest in um, wheat. You think that wheat is going to sell really well. People are really into it despite the gluten-free craze, right? Well, you invest in wheat, but then you also invest in corn. So that no matter what happens, your your bets are hedged. You've hedged your bets. No matter which way the market turns, you are sure to make at least some money. I want you to imagine that you are a person besieged as Jerusalem was besieged. A society besieged as Jerusalem was besieged. That there is no opportunity for you to invest in something truly, easily productive. There's no way you're going to turn $1 this year into $10 next year. What do you do with your money? 
Because, my brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to say we live in a world besieged. Although we do have the opportunity to turn money into more money, we seem to have no way of turning money into God's kingdom. Of turning this system around, of disengaging from the walls after walls after walls that surround us and our neighbors and force all of our hands into playing by the rules into allowing the pipeline to be built, allowing the war to be waged, allowing the forest to be cut, allowing the poor to be ignored. We seem to have no option unless God presents us with the opportunity of a lifetime. The ability to sink our money into a hole where we will never see any benefit. The opportunity to hedge our bets by the most radical form of hedging of all. Not just investing in the commodities that run contrary to our commodities, but investing in the people who run contrary to our people. When Jeremiah bought the field of Anathoth from the very friends and family who'd abused him. Jeremiah invested in his enemies. Invested in the people who'd been denigrating him, ignoring him, and outright imprisoning him for most of his working career. His advice to Israel as they depart into captivity in the next few chapters of the book of Jeremiah, as they enter Babylon, pray for the welfare of that city. Let your sons and daughters marry them. Buy fields there if you can. Invest in your enemies. His advice to us here, feeling as besieged as we are, by a culture that doesn't understand us, by economic systems that force us into being complicit or being invisible, is to invest in our enemies. Find places where the people that you most disagree with are hurting, are in need. Put your money there. What would happen if we as a nation were to seek universal health care in Iran? What would happen if we as a church of peace were to seek universal food coverage, not a mouth unfed Not a day spent on food insecurity for all of America's vets, for all of the veterans of war, all of those who have seen its horrors firsthand. What would it mean if we opened our eyes to the infinite payoff of an alternative form of investment, one that does not return anything in terms of dollars and cents and value, but one which returns nothing less 
than the world in terms of kingdom building, of restoration. We can never know how any of our investments are going to pay off. We, we do our best as we try to be wise stewards of our money to look for those investments that will have a large and relatively certain rate of return. And of course, your money is your own. You are responsible for investing it. But there is such thing as investing towards one aim and investing towards another, investing with one goal in mind or investing with a different goal. And when we invest in money, what we get is money. When we invest in control, what we get is control. And I believe that this century has shown us that when we invest in hell, what we get is hell. But when we invest in heaven, we get heaven. When we can find ways to throw away our money, not willy-nilly, not to every charity you meet, not to poorly considered, poorly understood causes, but when God invites us to throw away our money in a way that is pointed, is perspicacious, is ripe for the moment, then we buy now. We lean in. We put our money where our mouth is. The safest investment of all is one where you don't expect to get any money back. You're guaranteed to meet your financial expectations at least. The safest bet of all is one that aligns with God's plans, that sees where God is already moving and reinforces it opens the channels for the water to flow, goes with the movement of the Spirit. Here in the New River Valley, we have a little bit of an opportunity at the moment. The food pantry that we have often supported and towards which we have given most of our concrete donations is experiencing a lot of turbulence and may in fact be shuddering. Uh, the giving tree out of Fieldstone Methodist Church up the road. There are other food pantries in the local area that I would like to highlight for us this morning. The Blacksburg Interfaith Food Pantry is fantastic, but doesn't cover our zip code. The uh, Cornerstone Church has an unnamed food pantry. That they, are, that they are attempting to run as open-doored as possible. That is to say, without take all the record-keeping and all the scrutiny that other food pantries um, require in an effort to be more humane, more respectful in their interactions with people coming to ask for help. And then there's Montgomery County Emergency Assistance Program, all of whom do good work do hard work, do part of this work of investment with no hope of return. But I think that this morning 
Scripture is calling us and Jeremiah is modeling for us something even a little bit wilder. The opportunity we have to put money into places where nobody else would, where nobody else wants to. It requires some creativity. It requires some open-mindedness to look for places where indeed there will not be any direct benefit, but where your action can become a beacon of hope. We have an opportunity here presented us by the Moose Lodge, which is not 300 yards that away, up the hill. They have said that they would like to put together a fundraiser. They will provide, they said, the spaghetti, the venue, and even a bunch of people who they know who typically come to these things. And yet, the loyal order of Moose right up the street here has struggled to find churches and nonprofits willing to partner with them to raise funds for the local community. This is a group that is interested, is invested long-term here in Christiansburg, in our neighbors. But because they have some gambling machines, because they serve alcohol, the Moose Lodge can't find any willing partners. I'm not saying we've got a partner with the Moose. But I am saying that this sort of thing is the kind of opportunity that God puts in front of us time and again. The opportunity to collaborate with people whose priorities, whose lifestyles, whose mentalities may be really, truly alien to our own, foreign to our way of thinking. And yet, they give us a way to expend our effort, expend our money in seed, in investment that can come back a thousandfold. If we did choose to partner with the Moose Lodge, if we gave our community's spirit and support to their endeavor, what would come out of that would be something unpredictable, something new. Thousands of dollars placed, perhaps in the giving tree, perhaps in a new food bank, one that would be established by a new Christiansburg organization. We really do not have any way of knowing. But with Jeremiah's reckless example in front of our eyes, I ask all of you to pray. And think and ponder where God's opportunities lie for valueless investment that return infinite value in response. It's a funny thing to have money in this world, to be middle class as most of us are, and read these scriptures about 
wealth and poverty and how God relates to rich people versus how God relates to poor people. It's undeniable that we are closer to the man clothed in purple than we are to Lazarus in our lifestyles, in our comfort level. But I don't think these scriptures are intended for us for despair. They are sent to us for inspiration. So look now at the world around you. Look with some new eyes at how to invest in the other, how to invest outside of what you of your fields, how to plant seed in a place you'll never harvest it. God promises us that in that giving we will receive. Please join me for a word of prayer. God, you have taught us to not trust in the power of princes. And we have become good at not trusting. Help us this day to trust in you. Teach us that alongside all of the chaos and mistrust in this world, there is your order. There is your justice beneath, behind, and within it all. Functioning in ways that we don't see. Turning the wheel of human life and human profit and loss to outcomes we do not anticipate. Give us eyes like you gave to the prophet Jeremiah who saw flourishing after the bloodshed of war. Give us eyes to hope for the best of outcomes and to count on them. The outcome in which you have converted the hearts of all humanity, including those that we consider to be the most horrifying and heinous people on the planet, Give us eyes to trust that they too will come and worship you, O Lord, that every knee will bow and open our hands to invest in that future. Amen.